Feels weird, don't it? Like we ain't been together forever. All right. We're going to deviate from 1 John. Do you mind? Can we go a little bit different direction here? And I, I, I'm going to start getting into a, a little bit of end times and, and revelation. I kind of told you I was going to talk about that a little bit before I ended up having to do some more traveling and whatnot. Um, but I want to establish some things about who Satan is. We, I want to talk about where he came from tonight. And so that we kind of get a good picture of what exactly God's going to be doing in the end and why and, and what all that means. Okay? And so tonight, let's turn over... Um, let's turn over to Ezekiel 28. Let's start there. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to be in Ezekiel 28, but actually, let's go to Isaiah 14. Let's start there. Who thinks they can tell me where Satan came from? Isaiah. Isaiah 14, 12. Who can tell me where Satan came from? Heaven. Okay, well, how did all that happen? Let me ask you this. How did you get here? God created. God created you. How did he create you? And what did he do? He breathed life into you. And then what? He made you a living soul. And then he gave you to me. We have a lot of details mm-hmm. in the Bible about how we came to be, don't we? Mm-hmm. Don't know what about. When's the first time Satan's mentioned in the scripture? In Genesis. Uh, Genesis. He, he was over all the music yep. in heaven. Uh, don't just tell me where. <laughs> where's the first time you see Satan in the scripture? Don't know. Genesis. Not Genesis. He's he is Genesis. never mentioned by name in Genesis. Genesis. Second Chronicles. You go through multiple books of the Bible before you ever even hear his name. Now, I will give you, Job is technically the first book ever written in your Bible. And he is mentioned there. But if we were to take, <laughs> Darla says, aha, see, told you. Wait a minute, Job's the first book ever written? Ever written in your Bible. Your Bible is not, your Bible is not in chronological order. It is not. Why is it Genesis? Because it says in the beginning. Yeah. Satan is never mentioned in Genesis 1. I know that. But why isn't Genesis the beginning of the Bible? Yeah, why isn't it the beginning of the Bible? I can't answer that. You're going to have to ask God that one day. Who caused Adam and Eve to fall? The serpent. The serpent. The serpent. That's what we're told. Who was cursed? Serpent. The earth, Adam, the serpent, the woman, where was Satan? He was in the serpent. Was he, he was upon the serpent. He should have an image. But. It doesn't tell us that in Genesis. It just tells you the serpent. Know that's him, like in Genesis. Like you you know how we know? We didn't know. We didn't know. Like, Do you know how you know? Because in Second Chronicles he says that he doesn't want, or Second Corinthians he says he prays that we don't be beguiled as Eve was by the serpent. I know. Well, that's what I was saying. For someone who's just reading the book, they don't know that the serpent is the devil. So my my whole premise is for trying to get you guys to be thinking about this is we probably believe a whole lot of things that are true. Imagine that! I should have a t-shirt like that's not true. <laughs> Math Bible study on Wednesday nights. That's not true. <laughs> Who was taught when you died you, you become an angel? I was taught that as a kid. Grandma died, she's an angel in heaven now. I was told that. Right? Ain't true. I never thought about that. Like how Yep, you were just told that, so you believed it, right? That's how most of the world is. So so we talked about last time, I do remember we talked about this. <laughs> if a if a truth sets you free, what does a lie do? So what do you think Satan wants to do? Satan don't want you to know where he came from. Satan don't want you to know what his strategy is. He he don't want you to know squat. Because to know is to be empowered 
to be able to defeat and overcome. So why would he want you to know? Now there's a reason that you don't have a lot in the Old Testament about Satan. Who knows what it is? Anyone have an idea? Oh. <laughs> I, I will say this, kind of. Anyone got an idea? This is my personal belief. Because God's trying, like the first half is like God trying to tell you like what He wants us to live. Like it's showing like His details of what He, what path He wants us to take. I see what you're saying. I don't think that's the reason, though. Anyone else? What was the question? <laughs> Why don't you think that God said too much about Satan in the Old Testament? I think there's two reasons. Well, no sin. They didn't know sin. What would you have done about it? How would it have helped you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a set of rules given at the time because there wasn't any power... And if you would have really known that much about him in that time, it would you have didn't just want to been, dwell on the, you wouldn't have had the power behind you to defeat that. And so if anything mm-hmm. had been worse, then. So remember Genesis tells us, let's flip over to Genesis chapter 3 real quick. Or not Genesis, I say Genesis, uh, Galatians, sorry. They both start with a G. I know, hey, speed dial here. You should have your Bible on speed dial. That's why I use this when I <laughs> <laughs> need to try to what, your Why you need to use your phone, right? Yes. <laughs> so over here looking at, let's see here, chapter 3, down in verse, um, uh, let's go to four one. Let's go to four one. Galatians 4.1. So Paul says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage unto the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Christ was birthed under the law to redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, before salvation came, before Jesus came, before the new birth, before all of that, we had no ability to comprehend. Remember what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He says, The natural man cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Right? So if you were to go up right now to Miko, and you were to say, Miko, you can't lift your finger and put it on that outlet because the electricity comes out of that at so many volts an hour, and if you hit that just right, you know that's going to shock you, and that's going to cause your circulation. To... What's Miko going to say? Huh? <laughs> Okay, let me try. He's gonna lift that finger and he's gonna go see, right? Because right. <laughs> it means nothing to him. That was us before Christ. We didn't have the ability to comprehend. We didn't have the ability to do anything about it. So what was the point? But you can go up to Miko and say, Miko, you lick your finger and you touch that outlet. I'm gonna spank your little butt. And what do you think Miko's gonna do? No, Grandpa. <laughs> right? Because he ain't gonna want to get spanked. That's why we discipline our children, because they can't comprehend all of the technicalities of everything, but they can comprehend punishment. And as they get older, hopefully, you stop spanking your children, (laughs) and you start telling them those delicacies and those, those technicalities and stuff like that. And they start rationalizing, and they start understanding, and they start making decisions and choices and stuff, right? And you no longer have to tell them... You go on that road, I'm going to spank your little butt. But as they say, honey, you need to look both ways because otherwise a car's going to come and hit you. And they grasp that. You see what I'm saying? As people, as humanity, we didn't have the ability to understand what God would be telling us, even if he tried. We didn't have authority. Why did Job, when Job went through what he went through, why did Job not just say, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you to get out of my house, get out of my family, and go! If he would have said it, Satan would have said, yeah, nice try. (laughs) Jesus hadn't died yet. We had no authority yet. 
There was no blood covering his sin. He was sacrificing animals in fear that his children were sinning against God. He had a huge door open of fear. He constantly did this every day because he was fearful of how his children were living. And Satan had immediate access to heaven. Do you know that Satan has access to heaven even right now? He sure does. When Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, when did he see it? He saw it prophetically in the future. It hadn't happened yet. He used it as an example of how he was already going to give them authority for what was coming. He said Satan had already been judged. John 16, he says that the ruler of this world has already been judged. God has made his determination, just judgment and punishment won't be executed until the end. We've made our judgment, but we're holding on and executing that judgment and that punishment until the end. And we're in that in-between time. It's kind of like a, a prisoner who goes to court and the judge has made his ruling, but he's not going to actually implement that punishment yet for a couple of weeks. We're in that couple of weeks. And in that couple of weeks, he's on parole and able to get around and do what he wants to do. There's restrictions. God gave us the authority. So when Satan comes and he starts functioning in our lives and we throw out these little prayers like, Oh God, please help. God says, I gave you the authority to do that. I told you to speak to the mountain and it would be moved. I didn't say... Oh, God, help me. I said, you. And we see this throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament. Moses was given authority. Did you know that? Moses was told, take up this rod, and God called his staff the rod of God. Read the scripture. After God first tells him to throw it down, he says, they won't listen to me if I go to them. What, what can I do to prove to them that you've spoken to me? God says, take your staff. And throw it down and I'll make it a serpent. And he throws it down and it makes him a serpent and he backs away from it. And then he tells him to pick up the serpent by its tail. Why was that was the stupidest thing for God to tell him? Why do you think? What happens when you pick up a serpent by the tail? It bites you. It bites you. It's the very last thing you should ever do. So now you know. If you ever see a snake, don't pick it up by its tail. You pick it up out. By its head. Because it can't turn around and bite you. Moses knew he was taking his life in his hands. But he did it anyway. And when he picked it up, God said, now pick up the rod of God. And he picked it up. That became God's rod. And he did miracles with that rod. He said, put your arm in your cloak. And he pulled it out and became leprous. He said, now put it back in. And he healed it. And when they went to the, the Red Sea, and they were cornered in on every way, and they didn't know what to do, Moses did what he saw the children of Israel do. He hadn't done it up till then. But what was the children of Israel doing? They're making God mad, weren't they? Why? They wouldn't believe. But Moses was believing, right? Every miracle Moses did, his staff was involved in. You realize that? And when he cried out in unbelief, what did God tell him? You ever read it? God said, Moses, why are you asking me? How would you like that? For God to tell you, Mark, why are you asking me? Well, I don't know, because you're God. I, I don't know. I thought this was an understood thing. Never had that come up in conversation. <laughs> he said, you take the rod of God. You take it in your hand. You stretch it out over the water, and you command it to part. And when he did, it happened. God had given him authority the moment he gave him his own rod. And he said, and God expects all of us to do this. You see this principle throughout Scripture. He, t uh, Jesus tells a parable of three men with talents. And he gives one man five talents. And he gives another one four talents. And he gives another one three talents. And he keeps doing this all the way down to one, right? And what does he say? He says, he takes the talent. The one with the five takes the talents and he goes and he invests it, Right? And when he called him back, he says, what did you do with the money I gave you? And he says, well, I, I invested it. Here's the five you gave me, and here's five more. And he says, well done, my, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom I have for you, right? And he asks the fourth, and the fourth says the same, and the third, and the second. And then he gets down to that one. And you want to remember what the one says? He did it. He, did it. he said, I knew 
that you were, and I'm going to paraphrase it, you were a mean type of master. I knew you reap where you don't sow. I know you ask for what you don't deserve. And so I took your talent and I hid it. I put it in a napkin and I hid it. And here's what you gave me. This is what you gave and I'm giving it back to you. Now let me ask you, is God reaping where he did not sow? <laughs> Who gave him the talent in the first place? God. God had sowed. Is he an unjust judge? No, no he's not. He's a gracious and good and loving God, isn't he? That's exactly what we hear sinners say every time about God. He's cruel. How could God do this? First thing, when something bad goes wrong, God, how could you do this to me? Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's how they think. And he said, you should have invested it like all of them, but now I'm going to take from you what I gave you. I'm going to give it to others. God expects us to use what he has given us. When we have gifts, he expects us to use those gifts. He expects us to nurture those gifts. And as he grows those gifts... He expects them to be used for the kingdom. And when we don't use those gifts, those gifts will retain in us. But at times, he'll have to call someone else to fulfill a ministry that you should have fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Because he won't leave it unfulfilled. Yeah. But at the same time, he won't take your gift. God had given Moses authority and he expected him to use it. We didn't have authority at this time. So we had to go with what we had. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... That's part of the reason why I believe that God didn't tell him. And here's the other piece. God doesn't focus on darkness. He doesn't focus on bad. When God created light, he said he saw the light and the light was good. He didn't say, I saw the light and the light was good, but whoa, look at that bad darkness. Ooh, that's bad darkness. Did you see that darkness? I couldn't believe that darkness. We had to put some light in there because it was pretty dark. God doesn't do that, does he? Jesus didn't go up to Lazarus and say, wow, he's really dead. I thought, I mean, I thought maybe, you know, he's always dead better. You know, he's coughing or singing. He's dead. He didn't even move. See, I hit him in the phone. He didn't even move. He didn't do that. He called forth life. And he commanded, he saw him as a living being, not as a dead corpse. And he commanded him to get up and to loose him. God doesn't focus on darkness. He focuses on light. God tells you, to not have vain thoughts. Don't have empty thoughts. There, we could be thinking of a bajillion things there could be to think about, but there's no purpose in it. There's no life in it. There's no, no, no energy or, or power in that. And God says, think the way I think, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So God doesn't look at a sick person and say, wow, they're sick. He calls those things which be not as though they were, and he looks at Christina and says, that shoulder is whole in Jesus' name, and you, you move it. He says, that inflammation's gone. But Jesus, I feel, no, I've said the information's gone. You step into his reality, or do you want God to step into your reality? That's a renewing of the mind. So what would the point be to tell us all of this stuff? God tells us what we need to know to be able to do what he's called us to do. But he doesn't tell us all the if, ands, and buts, because the fact of the matter is we don't need to know it. There's going to come a time where we know all things. It'd probably be interesting to know some things, there's some things we can find out as we study the scripture, but the fact of the matter is, do you know Satan and demons like attention? Love it. Love it. Do you know the more that if you're around people who talk a lot about demons and all that type of stuff, you notice they have a lot of weird things happen around them? You know sometimes they start having demonic things happening around them? You know why that is? Because they like attention. <laughs> and the more attention you give it, the more power you give it, the more it grows and feeds, and it gets to the point where it becomes overwhelming and takes over someone. You shouldn't be focusing on that. You should, where is your mind and your thinking supposed to be? Christ. On Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. So there was no point in him showing all this stuff to us in the, in the past because we couldn't have done anything about it. We just sat around and worried about it anyway. God told us what we need to know. So let's go back to Isaiah 14. Now, I'm going to ask the same question again. Who thinks they can tell me where Satan came from? What have you been taught about how Satan fell? That he wanted to be like God. He cried. Okay, and what did he do? Mm -hmm. 
Scott, you act like you got something just right there. Well, I've heard he wanted the riches of the world, of the earth. Okay. One thing. Where in the Bible does it talk about all this? Anyone ever heard that Satan was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels? Yes. yes. Where is it in your Bible? This typically comes out of Revelation chapter 12. I'm still staying on Isaiah. I'm just flipping over there. If you want to follow, sure, you can. Sure, sure. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 says, And there appeared a great sign, a uh, great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and under upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and uh, pain to be delivered. Any idea what that is? It's all right. It's a little cryptic. We'll talk about it in the future. <laughs> and there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared to her, that they should feed her there for 1,203 score days, or 60 days. So what, does that tell you that Satan got cast out of heaven with a third of the angels? No. That's where that came from. That's exactly where it came from. So let me ask you, what do you think that's telling us in those verses? Tribulation. Not yet. <laughs> okay. But we're going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> so here, here's some stuff. So to understand Satan, you need to understand his genesis, okay? He was an angel, but not just an angel. A matter of fact, you're almost borderline to call him an angel. And there's a reason for this. Wasn't he an angel of light? He comes as an angel of light, according to Paul, but he's never called an angel of light. But he comes to deceive us as an angel of light. Okay? But what we're going to learn is that he was what's called a cherubim. Now, what is a cherubim? Baby angel. <laughs> that looks like what? Got those cute little buns you just want to spank and the little bitty wings that fly around, right? And that's what, <laughs> give me some horns. And that's what we're told it is, right? We're told cherubims are these little bitty babies that have little bitty wings and you just want to spank their little bottom, right? It looks so cute. Far from it. Cherubim are actually never called angels in the Bible. Never once. Most theologians believe that they are the highest order of angels and they were created specifically for a specific reason and we only see, technically, a handful of them in the Bible. The order of angels is innumerable. The Bible says that there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So, really, could we number them? Only God probably can truly number them. Okay? But cherubim, you can precisely number because you can count how many you see in the scripture. They're always around the throne of God. Always. And they look different from all the other angels and they behave different than all the other angels, and they have specific purposes that no other angels do or present. And the interesting thing about this is that he is the only cherubim who was given a name. He was called Lucifer. And we learn this out of Isaiah. So does that mean the others don't have names? We don't know. I believe God knows a name for every angel. I truly believe that, but we don't need to know it. Angels, by virtue of their essence and who they are, unlike demons, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be out in the open, and they always are working behind the scenes. To, in order to see an angel, God has to open your eyes to be able to see it, and it's usually through a gift of discerning of spirits. Angels do a lot behind the scenes that you never know, and a matter of fact, in Hebrews it says to, in chapter 13, that you need to be careful of how you treat strangers because you may be entertaining angels unaware. 
And I believe that's happened in my life a couple of times. I have very vivid remembrance of those instances. I know exactly what God was doing in those situations, and I remember how all that played out. And you don't know because a lot of times, the times that you encounter angels, they come as ordinary people. And you never even realize it unless God reveals it to you. Lucifer was an angel. So back over here. First of all, what I'm going to say about Revelation 12. Remember in 2 Thessalonians, we talked about how, well. Oh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm telling an hour is not long enough. No. Just to give me a piece of, of future pie here, okay? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, one of the scriptures I always love to use to prove there is no pre-tribulation rapture. Right here it says, verse 1, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Which comes first? Our gathering to him or his coming? Right here he says, his coming. And when he comes, we're gathered unto him. Right? Just say yes, I'm right. Okay, verse 2. That be you soon not shaken in mind or troubled, neither spirit nor by word nor by letter, as though coming from us, as though the day of Christ is at hand. The whole reason he's saying this is because he don't want you to be deceived. He don't want you to believe a lie. And he says, let no man deceive you by any means. Imagine that. For that day shall not come. Say that with me. That day shall not come. Except there come a falling away first. That Greek word is apostasia, which means what? Falling away. A falling away from the faith. It's people leaving Christianity. It's people saying, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, even though I once thought I did. It's people not being Christian more. These are the tares among the wheat, folks, people. This is how this works. It's a separation between the true believer and the false believer. And is that going on today? Yes. You better believe it. Because it ain't cool to be a Christian like it was probably about 20 years ago. I remember when I first got born again, and it was kind of a cool thing to, to be a Christian. I remember a kid on my college campus coming in, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Come over to my dorm. I got the bump sticker. I got the T-shirt. I got the... I'm like, whoa. <laughs> None of this screams Christian to me. <laughs> but he did have it. He had like three or four Bibles, had the bumper sticker, had the T-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, but who's Jesus to you? What do you mean? And it was cool to be a Christian. Everyone was going to Bible school. Everyone was opening a Bible school. You had mega ministry this and mega ministry that. And now we have mega minister falling and mega minister falling and church closing and church closing and Bible school what? And it's different in just 20 years, folks. I remember when Word Explosion was a huge thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and now you're doing good. They don't even rent out the maybe center for it anymore. They do it in their church now. Can't even get enough people to come. Christianity is not what it used to be, at least as far as popularity goes. And I think it's just a sign of the times. He says it would be a great falling away first. Say that first. 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 Before Jesus can come. Before we can be gathered together into him. Before the day of Christ shall happen. First. What I say? First. first. A great falling away. Okay? And. See that word and? And. What did I just say? And. And, and what? I was, I was holding off. And that man of sin be revealed. That man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Don't you remember I told you these things? Two things have to happen, but one will come before the other. First, a great falling away. And, he's good, he passed the test. He's got it. And, so when someone says there's a pre-tribulation rapture, he's going to say, first, there's a great falling away. And the man of sin be revealed, the Antichrist. The Antichrist. So, Jesus can't come. We can't be gathered to him. 
until there's a great falling away and the man of sin be revealed. Revelation chapter 12. What is happening here? Do we see a cherub showing up who is trying to take God's throne? Or do we see a dragon who has horns, who have crowns, who has multiple heads, and we've already been told what those are. Those are kings. Those are dominions. Those are people who will rule and reign with him. These are mountains that he sits on. We're told all these things already. Remember, we studied that in Daniel. A dragon shows up in heaven, not a cherubim. This is something that is clearly not like the others, right? And he attacks not God. You see this woman described and pictured because she is Israel. And she is Israel giving birth to the Messiah because who is this babe? What will this babe do? He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's exactly what we're told about Jesus Christ. He will rule the nations with her. The government shall be on his shoulders. Remember this? And where is he caught up to? The throne of God. Where did Jesus ascend to on the, on the day of ascension? The throne of God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And you're seated in him, right? We're given these details to understand who this is. There should be no question who this is. This is the exact picture of what we see in Joseph's dream of his father and mother. This is Messianic saved Israel. This is the Jews who are true believers that Satan's going to attack and try to wipe out, just like Hitler did. Before tribulation. (gasps) What? When you understand end times, the way I'm going to teach it to you, you're going to realize there's so many signs that trigger the, the tribulation, you're going to be surprised anyone can miss it. It's so obvious. It's like God screaming, hey, stupid, wake up! Because <laughs> these things happen. We get exact days. We get exact times. Remember Jesus wept over Jerusalem right before his crucifixion. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its own prophets. How I've longed as a mother hen to wrap you around like chicks and and care for you. But you would not let me. And therefore now you will be desolate. For you missed and you did not know your time of visitation. He rebuked the city for not knowing their time of visitation. Why should they have known? How should they have known? Because Daniel's 70-week prophecy to the day told him, told all of the Jews, Daniel taught the Magi who came to Jesus' birth. They were descendants. They were astrologers. They were Magis that were taught by ancestors out of Daniel's school back in Babylon. They came because they were told to watch for the star. The same star that Daniel knew about out of Genesis that Balaam, the false prophet, had prophesied. He said the star of his scepter would be above you, O Bethlehem. And they watched for it. Year after year, they watched for it. Every night, they looked for it. And they started moving the moment they saw the star. And it took them years to get there. But the star never disappeared and they never stopped because Daniel told us when we see the star to go to Bethlehem, it would be over the babe. And isn't that what they said when they showed up at Herod? Herod said, what are you doing here? And what they say? We came to worship the Christ for we saw his star and we came to see where he lay. And Herod went to his astrologers and said, Where is he supposed to be? And they said, well, he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And that's how they found out. They were following the star, but they weren't quite sure the locale. And he said, well, it's it's in Bethlehem. See, Isaiah wrote that after Daniel, after Daniel was already alive. They didn't have that piece of information. They didn't have that prophecy. They told them that. And they went. And then remember what the angels told them? Don't go back to Herod. He wants to kill him. You're getting this picture here to understand who he's talking about. Okay, the dragon is very clearly Satan, Mm -hmm. very clearly. And what this tells us is at the beginning, right before tribulation begins, what is going to happen is Satan is going to wage war in heaven. He is going to attack 
heaven again. And one of the ways he's going to do it, because he never does it directly, Satan ain't stupid, folks. It says that he was full of wisdom. Okay, we're going to get to that scripture here in a minute, in Ezekiel. He ain't stupid. And so what he did is if he's going to attack God, he's going to attack God through his people. And he's going to go attack those Jews. And then what happens? Anyone know? It says, and there was war in heaven. There was war in heaven. When he wants to get down there and he wants to touch those Jews, God says, I'm done. No more. Uh Uh-uh. Michael, get him. Michael is the archangel, and there's only a handful of archangels that we're aware of in the scripture. No one is technically called an archangel except for Michael. And the word is actually in the Greek, arche, which we get the word archangel from. And he is specifically over Israel. And Daniel, remember Gabriel comes to Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 10. And he says, the moment you began to pray, O Daniel, beloved of God, I was immediately sent to you. However, the prince of Persia prevented me from coming. And I've been fighting with him all these days. But Michael has come to relieve me. And he fights in my absence so that I could come to you. But when I leave, I know I will encounter the prince of Grisha. Persia and Greece were both beasts that Daniel sees in this prophecy. So we're going to get a little bit more into this, probably not tonight because I don't have time. <coughs> but there is a hierarchy to God's angelic system, and there is a hierarchy given to us in Scripture of Satan's kingdom. Okay? And we're talking about this so you understand Satan and kind of how he functions. But angels can be over nations. And Michael is specifically a warrior angel. And he is specifically over all the armies of God. He is the captain of the host. Who was the original captain? Anyone know? Come on, Mark. You know this. In Joshua, Joshua encounters the captain of the hosts of God. And it's called a thenophany. Anyone know what that is? It's a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus Christ before he's birthed, and he is the captain of the hosts of God. He also comes as the word of God, sometimes as the angel of the Lord. But he comes, and Joshua says, are you for us or are you for them? He says, I'm not for anyone. I am for the Lord. And he says, if you be on the Lord's side, we fight with you. And he decimated his enemies. Michael took that place. Michael is the archangel. He's the warrior angel. He leads the armies of God, and he specifically stands watch over the nation of Israel. We know this because in Daniel chapter 12, and it's interesting, it's Daniel 12 and Revelation 12. Coincidence? I think not. Daniel chapter 12. I like my nerdiness. Oh, I went too far. There we go. Daniel chapter 12. Should I open the window? I'm getting hot in here. Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to turn on those fans real quick. Try to move some air around here. Because I still have time. And I'm using it. Daniel chapter 12, it says, and at that time, so Daniel is still getting some revelation about end times and what's going on, and Daniel's totally lost. He tells us later on in this chapter, he tells God, I don't understand. And that's where he says, Daniel, this is sealed up until the end. Okay? I told you so you could write it, but I'm sealing it up until the end. But he says, and at that time, at what time? At the time the dragon comes in Revelation 12. At that time shall Michael stand up, that great prince, You never see Michael stand up in Scripture until here. Michael stands up for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since, nor was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that is found in the book. What do we see in Revelation 12? We see that there is war in heaven. And verse 7 of Revelation 12 
And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. Side note, where are the demons in this? Have you ever heard that demons are something other than fallen angels? I have. I've been told that a bunch. <laughs> demons are angels that are fallen. The fallen angels are demons. Okay? It's actually from the Greek word that means devils. And we call Satan what? Devil. The devil. So those who followed him are also devil. devils. What does the word Satan actually mean? Deceiver and adversary. What is every single fallen angel? An adversary and a deceiver. God hasn't given him a name. We have. We call him Satan. Look on here. He says that there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. Remember, he is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. air. This is the day he ceases to be, right here. When Jesus said, behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning, boom, this is what he was talking about. And it says, and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil. This is how we know it was the devil and the serpent. And Satan, which deceives the whole world, and he was cast out. Did he go to hell? To the earth. He was cast out to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Folks, this hasn't already happened. If this was when Satan defected from heaven, it would be a cherubim with unfallen angels fighting unfallen angels. That didn't happen. Do you know there's never been a war in heaven yet? Show it to me in the Bible. Do you know that I do believe that there are fallen angels, as the scripture tells us? It does not tell us that they fell when Lucifer fell. Show me where the Bible tells you when exactly the other angels fell. So they're still in heaven? No. Nope. There's fallen angels. The so just, there's not a Some. There are stories scattered all throughout your Bible that talk about fallen angels. We have this idea that Satan attacked God to take his throne and that he took a third of the angels with him and that they all followed at the same time. And so it's us against them, right? And it ain't in the Bible. It ain't in the Bible. Revelation 12 right here. A future event. This is one of the events, one, that triggers tribulation. Remember what Daniel said? He said, Michael will stand up and there'll be a time of trouble as though there's never been on the face of this earth. And Michael will stand up to defend God's people. Right? Why would he do it? Because Satan attacks them like he's never attacked them before. And Michael angelically fights against it and says it's not going to happen. And not only is it not going to happen, Satan, you're out of here. God's done with you out. And he's thrown to the earth. Now read the rest of the scripture. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. What is Satan doing right now? He's accusing everyone day and night before God. <clears throat> and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives until the death. And then he goes on and he says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. So heaven is rejoicing that Satan is finally cast down when this occurs. Is Satan cast down yet? No. No. He's still the, the prince of the power of the air. Matter of fact, one of the categories of Satan's kingdom that we fight is spiritual wickedness in heavenly, heavenly or high places. Spiritual places. Right? Yes. All right. But listen to what it says here. It says, therefore rejoice ye heaven 
and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. What triggers it? Michael defeats Satan and his armies, casts them to the earth, and says, your time is up. Your time is up. God is sending his kingdom in manifestation. Christ is returning, and we're done with you. Heaven rejoices. Earth cries. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which had brought forth the man-child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she may fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for, we hear this in Daniel, a time and times and half a time. For what purpose? From the face of the serpent so he can't destroy her. What is time, times, and half a time? Three and a half years. Thank you. His time is short. Short. How long did it say this woman was going to be hidden in the previous verses? A thousand two hundred and three score days. Exactly three and a half years. Do you think you know when Jesus is going to come back? I can tell you. When this happens, one thousand two hundred and three score years. Or a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. Because he says it over and over and over and over and over. And he tells you to watch and to pray. Why would he tell you to watch for something when you don't have a clue when it's going to happen? Hey, you want to know when it's going to happen, so you got to watch for it. There you go. Right. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Remember, this is saved Jews. Saved Jews. And went to war... With the remnant of her seed, which the commandments of God, or which keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who are the remnants of her seed, folks? You're looking at them. If we were raptured, who would he go after? Why does this woman have to be hidden in wilderness on earth, away from his face? Because she wasn't taken to heaven. God is not even taking this group of people to heaven. He is preserving them by hiding them. And so Satan, in his wrath, goes after the other believers. Two things occur in Revelation that you have to remember. It is God pouring out his wrath, but it is also Satan pouring out his wrath. So as God's attacking Satan, Satan is attacking us. And you have to keep those separate from one another to understand who's doing what, why, and how God's going to preserve us through it. Does that make sense? Okay, boy, that was a whole lot of not where I was meaning to go. So Isaiah 14, 12, where we originally were going. <laughs> Isaiah 14, 12. We're still going there too. I got time. I'm not 15 minutes over. Okay. So Isaiah 14, 12, this is the first time we first time, and incidentally, can I tell you it is the only scripture in the entire Bible with Satan's pre-fallen name? Only place in the Bible you see it. He's called Lucifer. The name Lucifer, do you want to know what it means? Light bearer. Son of the morning. That's another translation. Satan, or Lucifer, was the only other person in Scripture other than Jesus Christ himself called the day star. Which is, the day star is called the day star because it is the very last star that shows in the sky when morning comes, and it is considered the brightest star. Lucifer was called the day star. And after his fall, Jesus Christ is called the day star. Okay? So here in, Luc uh, here in Lucifer, in Isaiah 14, 12, he says, How art there thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now let me say this before we go any farther. 
He says he's fallen from heaven, right? And so people take that and they translate that over to Revelation 12 and say, oh, right here, there you go, right? So if I was kicked out of my family's home, right, and told don't ever come back, right? Have I fallen away from my family? Sure I have. They don't want me around, right? I got to go live somewhere else. But does that mean I literally fell from one to another? He's fallen. He's fallen from a position. This is talking about position, folks. This isn't talking about physically falling from heaven and, ow, hitting earth, okay? He fell from his position before God. And he says, Satan, or he says, Lucifer, how you have fallen. From where you were to where you are, how you have fallen. You were the day star. You were the bright morning star. And he's comparing where he is now to where he was when God created him. And he says, How thou art cut down to the ground, which did reek, or did weaken the nations. For thou hast said in your heart, so we're getting an inner picture of what was going on inside of Lucifer. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Wait a minute, folks. How do you ascend into heaven when you're already there? You ever ask yourself that? If I said, I'm going to ascend into California, and I'm already in California, how would I do it? I had already done it. So this tells us, by virtue of what he's saying, he wasn't in heaven when he said it. Am I speaking Greek, or is that as clear as mud? You see what I'm saying? You ain't got to be a theologian, and you don't got to be able to read the Hebrew to see that. Okay? I'm going to ascend my throne. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. <coughs> Folks, he had a throne. Nowhere does it say he didn't have one. He says, I'm going to take the throne I have, and I'm going to ascend it even above God. He had dominion over something. He had rulership. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. Anyone know what he's talking about? Anyone? Anyone? The temple mount? No. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Says... Do what? What'd you say? The North Pole. The North Pole. <laughs> All right, get him out of here. <laughs> he's um, going to go be with Santa. Is that what you said? Gosh, why am I not seeing it here? Um, what he's actually talking about. I know I'm looking right at it. Here we go. Verse, uh, Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse um, 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable, innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the judge, or God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The city of God. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Satan's fall was over pride. He didn't want to be like God. He wanted to be God. And this is seen, again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the attitude of the Antichrist. Because if we were going on in Revelation to chapter 13, when the Antichrist appears, he says that the Satan enters into him. And his attitude is he wants to be God. He exalts himself above everything that's called God. 
above Hindu gods, above every other god, above the Muslim god. He doesn't want to share his title. He wants to be the title. Okay? Now, Ezekiel 28. We're going to read this, and I'm going to stop, and we're going to come back and finish next week. How's that? Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Before we read this, I'm going to tell you this. This is why I believe. You know why I believe and how I believe Satan became Satan? How? This is how. Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Guess what? What? It's a joke in our house. It is. No, we're not going to go into all that. Okay. <laughs> I believe that Satan was present in the garden as Lucifer. And I believe because God had created man in his own image in the same way that God surrounds his throne with cherubim for two purposes. They protect the glory of God and they contain the praise of God. All the praise of God goes through them. God had created Adam and what had he done to Adam? Why did Adam not know he was naked? One, we know he wasn't self-aware, right? Two, Psalms tells us that he clothed Adam and Eve in the glory of God. And where God's glory is, every time you see the cherubim. Every time. Do you know, as a matter of fact, what did God tell Moses to put on top of the Ark of the Covenant to protect the mercy seat? He didn't say angels. He said, create two cherubim. And what do the cherubim do? Anyone remember? They don't look at each other. They look at where God is. And do you know in the tabernacle, in the temple, not tabernacle, sorry, in the temple, not only was there the two cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant, but there were two gigantic cherubim that the Ark of the Covenant rested between in the room. So when you walked in as the high priest, you went through a curtain, and do you know what was embroidered on the curtain? Cherubim. On the veil. Cherubim. Cherubim were embroidered in gold on the veil, protecting God's glory. You went in, and you saw two gigantic cherubim whose wings touched, who hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, and as they went up to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, they had to do it in between two smaller cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So even... In type and shadow, God told Moses, create it exactly the way that I've shown you. Told David, create it exactly as I've shown you. And this is what they saw in heaven, in the heavenly temple. They saw cherubim hovering around and protecting the throne of God. Make sense? God created man in his, in his image. He gave him, he clothed him in his glory. And he said, Lucifer... Go protect them. Go protect them and be a blessing to them. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. That was true in the garden as much as it is now. He sent Lucifer to protect... Well, that's not true, Matt. Yes, it is, and we're going to show you. Why I believe Satan fell from his position. He didn't fall exactly from heaven. He's going to do that in Revelation 12. I believe that Lucifer saw in Adam and Eve something he didn't have. Anyone know what it was? Hmm? Soul. No, because they're spirits. They're created of spirit. They have free will because he, he was able to fall from his position. Remember in the wilderness when Jesus is tempted and he says... The second temptation, he takes Jesus on top of the temple, and it says that he shows him all of the nations, all of the kingdoms, and all of the rulers that ever was and ever will be. And he says, I, for this has been delivered unto me, and I will give it unto you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus does not say, no, it wasn't. He never corrects him and says, no, that wasn't given to you. 
Satan could not give what he did not have to give. He is the God, small g, of this world. And God says that in his scripture, not us. When Adam and Eve submitted themselves to the lie, they submitted themselves to him. And in Romans 6, it says, Know ye not that to whom you submit yourself to, to that one you become a servant unto. And in the moment they did what they did, they submitted themselves to Lucifer, who was a lower creation. Lucifer had delegated authority, or, or sorry, he had conditional authority, which meant when God said go, he could go. When God said come, he could come. Now, he could choose not to do it, but he would be powerless if he attempted to not do what God told him to do. The power was in what God had told him to do, right? God told the disciples through Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, exact same time he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He sends them out, sends them out with the 70, actually, if you remember right in the story. And he says, go out and cast out devils in my name. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand, Right? They had conditional authority. Jesus hadn't died yet, folks. And these people are going, just like when Peter said, Lord, if it really be you on the water, bid me come. And he said, come. That word come was the authority of God for him to do that. Now, if Peter tried to do it, I'm going to fly like a bird. He would have dropped flat in that water. But because God had said, come, he could come. And he did until he quit believing. Right? Those people were able to go out. Think about this, folks. <coughs> Judas Iscariot raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons in his name. Because he was there when he delegated that authority to him. <coughs> but Adam and Eve had something totally different. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the earth. And he gave them dominion over all the birds of the air, over all the creatures of the land, over all the things in the sea. He goes through and listen. What he did was he gave Adam and Eve unconditional authority to do whatever they wanted to do. It didn't come with a, if you do this, or and you go do that. It was, I'm giving this authority to you. He saw something he did not have. And he knew if I can get them to submit to me, I can take that from them, and I can use it against God. You don't attack someone you know you have no ability to win against. Lucifer was not stupid. Lucifer didn't charge God's throne. He tried to get to God through his people. Same thing he's going to do in Revelation 12. Same thing he always does. So in here, in Ezekiel 28, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation unto the king of Tyrus. Now here, if you read the paragraph before, he talks to the prince of Tyrus. He's talking to the physical man. But here talking to the king of Tyrus, he's talking to the spiritual being behind the king who's influencing, who's motivating him. He's talking to this same presence that's over this nation at this time. And at this time, Satan himself was handling the nation of Tyre. And we know it because what he says. He says this, Say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was full of wisdom, folks. God's wisdom. Trust me, he knew better than to attack God head on. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. He said he was in Eden, folks. He was there. Not in heaven. In Eden. And what did he look like in Eden? Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. He was clothed in every precious jewel there was. It says here, thy workmanship. Now remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse, I believe it's 9 or 10, says that we are Christ's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, right? Here he says, your workmanship, your being, how you were created of, uh, of thy timbrels and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. God literally created inside of him a, a musical instruments to where when he moved, when he spoke, everything he did, worship came out of him to God. 
He was a being of worship. He was the worship leader of heaven. <coughs> and remember, this is the peak of God's creation at that time. He was the day star. And it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, folks. Touch not mine anointed, do his prophets no harm. Remember that? In Jude, it says that Satan and Michael fought over the body of Moses. And Michael refused, refused to bring an allegation against Satan. But instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Why? Because he was an anointed being at one time. And nobody touches God's anointed beings, even when they've fallen. Think about this, folks. When Saul was removed from his kingship, how long did he stay king? Several, several years. It was years, wasn't it? And when someone came and said, I killed him in battle for you, David, what did David say? David killed that man. And he said, you should have known not to touch God's anointed. He had fallen from grace, folks. He wasn't serving God. He was demon-possessed. And David says, God would have removed him, not you. You should have known better. You don't touch God's anointed. Even in sin, Saul was seen as someone anointed by God. It wasn't the person that they were honoring. It was the anointing that they were honoring. It was God's presence. Even though it wasn't there anymore, it was the fact that his presence had been there at one time that made it special. And Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. And Satan left. And he goes on, he says, you were the anointed cherub that covered. He covered God's throne. And it says, and I have set you as so. God had set him as so. And thou was upon the holy mountain of God. And you walked up and down in the midst of the stone of fire. When God had even created his mountain in heaven, Lucifer was there. But then he had sent Lucifer down to Eden. Thou was perfect in all of your ways. From the day thou was created until iniquity was found. It doesn't say he sinned. He says you were perfect until iniquity was found in you. What is iniquity? Iniquity isn't necessarily the act that you did. It's the essence in your heart that bursts that sin. It's that part of you where you're already contemplating it in your heart. He says God already saw that iniquity in Lucifer. He saw it when it was already starting. God's omnipotent. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knew the moment that started in Lucifer. He didn't stop it. Think about that. He didn't stop it. He said you were perfect in all your ways until then. That's where it started. Remember James says that sin first starts out as a desire. Where? In us. And then as we meditate upon it, and as we enti we're enticed, then it bursts into sin. The same process was, remember, he is the father of lies. He was starting that same process. All right, we're 15 minutes over. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. We'll finish this up later, okay? Uh, Sean, you want to close this up in yes, prayer? Yes. Father, we do love you and praise you, dear God, and we just love you for your word, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the power that we have in you, Father. We just pray that you uh, lead us and guide us in your word, Father. Um, just be with us, Father. We love you and praise you. It's all Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll finish up next week. Oh, thank you.